This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash people today. Hey guys, quick thing. The TalkSport Fan Network is proudly supported by Mook Delivery, bringing you the food you love. Mook Delivery brings a top-tier lineup of food right to your door. No matter the result, you'll always be winning with Mook Delivery. So the only question left to say is... Are you in? Order now on the McDonald's app and you can get reward points delivered too. So the ordering today means some tasty rewards for tomorrow. Only via app at participating restaurants. 18 plus rewards registration required. Points only on menu items. Delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. Hello and welcome to the Guna Talk. Back again with you guys for another show for another episode of our Let's Talk Arsenal series where me and a guest talk about the situation of Arsenal and pretty much provide you with a free therapy session to get yourself through these tough times. Today I'm joined by the one, the only Arse blog. Hey, do you, mate? Are you well? I'm fine, thanks, Tom. How are you? Yes, very good. Very good. It's weird, isn't it, at the moment? We're talking about Arsenal at this stage of the season, and it's not looking great. I remember speaking to you recently about this, and it wasn't, I want to say, necessarily this bad. We got ourselves to a quarterfinal now, mm. but the mood is still very low in the camp. I think that's natural when you have a league season which uh, under-delivers. You know, and I don't know that anybody's expectations were so high that they thought Arsenal were going to cruise into the top four or, you know, challenge for the title or anything ludicrous like that. But I do think there was a reasonable expectation that we wouldn't lose 12 games in the league. And, you know, that period in November, December has really hurt our season. You know, domestically, it's not impossible that we could finish in the European positions. But you think about some of those games that we lost where even three or four more points right now would have us uh, at least with something still uh, within our grasp in Premier League terms. And uh, when when you think about where we might finish now, it's we need something of a miracle. We need to finish as strongly as we can finish and for everybody else to drop points all over the place. And even then, it might not be enough. So, you know, that's why I think the mood is bad. And I think the mood uh also is bad because of the kind of football that we played for a large part of the season that there was not much to like about it you know so uh the, there's a lot going on at the moment obviously but i think a lot of the way people feel is is because of what came before what came before obviously has been something that's been under discussion around maybe taking it for granted, maybe looking at it and saying that, wow, we used to be in the Champions League every single season and, mm. and now not being in there. Despite, um, Do you remember when we were and people would say, oh, what's the point in being in the Champions League? We can't yeah. win it. Those were the days. I miss those days. <laughs> I long for the days and we can take these things for granted. Um, but do you think that there is an element maybe of this season being... 
I hope it's a turning point, but I used an analogy basically looking at this season as a bit of a graph in terms of the Arsenal kind of timeline that we've been on a bit of a downward slope on that graph and mm. I don't expect it to be a V-shape where it just instantly turns straight back up, but more of a curve where gradually we see an improvement. And have yeah. you seen enough this season to make you feel that we could be on the, the route under this coach to start that upward turn? It's a tough one. You know, it, it, there there are things that... I, I see people all the time talk about like, well, if this was Unai Emery, what would we be thinking? And I, you know, that's okay. I just think the comparisons are a little bit spurious in that, you know, the, the respective circumstances in which the coaches have done their jobs are very, very different. And, and I can see promising signs in certain aspects of the way we want to play. Some of the things that we've done, some of the situations that we've tried to sort out at the football club that needed to be sorted out. Um, you know, people needed to leave certain, um, cohorts of people needed to go because, you know, they weren't positive for the football club. Um, you know, may have hurt us footballistically to use an Arsene Wenger expression, but you know, the, the, it's difficult because the, the good things that you see, Tom, are very often undermined by basic poor things that make you wonder, what's going on like what is what is happening here some of the goals that we give away some of the games that we lose um you know it's very difficult to feel hugely confident i'm 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 hopeful and i i kind of want it to work because i do feel like arsenal has needed to i don't know if we needed to hit a rock bottom you know that's not where we need to go but i think there was going to be a point where you know things were going to get worse before they they got better and i think this summer maybe what's left of this season, but certainly this summer will be um, will be key in terms of how things are going to improve, you know, because mm. there's only so long you can give a, you can give a project before you accept that. Okay. Even with the best intentions, with the best will in the world, with the best ideas, with all the, with all the heart and the passion and, and the, and the desire that Mikel, Ar uh, Mikel Arteta has to make it work. If it's, if it doesn't work after a certain period of time, you're gonna have to you're gonna have to think about doing things slightly differently. But there are aspects of what's going on that I think are positive. And um, you know, if we can, it's a million dollar thing, isn't it? If we can stop shooting ourselves in the foot, we'd be instantly twenty five percent, forty percent better. You know, yeah. talk about tactics all you want, talk about team selection all you want, talk about the way the team plays all you want. But if we could stop sabotaging ourselves, we'd instantly be in a better position than we are right now some people might say then that that's you say you talk about team selection we are still mm. shooting ourselves in the foot but those players that are making those errors as we've learned time after time are being picked so the, the devil to play devil's advocate someone mm. might say that Arteta is at fault because he is still picking those players like people use the Martinelli example why hasn't he played more this new year since coming back and he's mm. played players like Aubameyang after the, I mean he played Aubameyang against Liverpool despite being really poor against West Ham away from home these types of things do you think that there's an element that Arteta needs to take that blame for selecting players that have a fault in them. Sure, he's the coach. I mean, I wouldn't put the Liverpool game down to Aubameyang being played on the left. I didn't agree with that. I don't think it was a good idea, but I don't think that's necessarily why we lost. And I can understand why in in certain games or in certain aspects, the manager might look to experience to to get him out of situations that, that he might be in, you know? But, but it's clear... To me, one of the most positive aspects of this season has been the emergence of young players and the impact that they've had on the team. You know, go back to 
when we talked about November, December and how bad things were, who were the guys who came in and made things better? It was Emile Smith-Rowe. It was, um, it was Gabriel Martinelli coming in on the left-hand side. It was Bakayo Saka playing from the right-hand side. So it is, you know, it's the young guys uh, supplemented by Martin Odegaard, for example. Um, you know, these are very guys, <laughs> Yeah, he's still only 22, you know. So uh, Kieran Tierney's still, what, 23, 24, you know, relatively young guys. If there's real optimism, it's in it's in what they can do, and and it's a balancing act. I wrote about that this week. There is a balancing act when it comes to picking young players over experienced players. You do need the right blend. There's no question about it. You know, you can go back to Project Youth and you think about what a couple of those Arsene Wenger teams might have done had they had just one or two more experienced players in key positions. I think we'd have been talking about another title or yeah. two along the way. You know, at the same time though. When you're when you're thinking about the balance of your team, I think you have to think about the balance of talent rather than the balance of age, you know. And if these guys have come in and done the business, then I think they deserve to play, and they're the future, really. Uh, so if you're going to build your project on something, it's got to be on these these young guys. It is always about uh, the blend. Blend is a great word to describe it, and finding that balance between experience and, mm. and youth and and also being careful, of course, and not over-hyping youth can be something that Arsenal fans do. A lot of Martinelli, I feel, is in that bracket. Whilst being the same age as Bukayo Saka, I don't feel he's on that same level yet as Bukayo Saka is in terms of his output. I think that he's one of those players that because he's stereotypically a likeable from an English perspective, I, th I, I talk about him because he's full of running through a passion and drive and fight. And that's something that from an English perspective in, in the English game people really appreciate and really look at as something desirable and maybe that elevates yeah. him to a, a different level do you think yeah, yeah i think so i mean it's really difficult to not like the way that he plays and the intention with which he plays and the you know the technical quality he has but he couples it with this this energy and this this um uh, he plays with real verve doesn't he you know he yeah. you can see that he enjoys football and all he wants to do is contribute i think another part of the martinelli thing is you know we can talk about the injury that he had and the other injury that he had when he just came back but i think you know let's imagine for a second that emile smith rowe had been fit for most of the season imagine if he was playing a lot of his football on the left hand side and the 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 choice was between Martinelli and Smith Rowe. I do wonder if it will be quite as intense, you know, the 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 clamor for for Martinelli. I'm not yeah. saying he's not a really exciting player. Of course he is. I think what it is is that there's this this line drawn between, well, you know, how do we play Willian, who has been underperforming, and not give Martinelli the minutes? And yeah. I it's really difficult to argue that, isn't it? It's like yeah. why and I understand this uh, about William Saliba. I, I understand why we sent him on loan. He's a 19-year-old central defender. Yeah. But then you have the argument, well, why did we give minutes to Mustafi rather than <laughs> give him to Saliba? Yeah. You know what I mean? And yeah. I think part of it is due to how fed up we, uh, we are with some of the, the players who have underperformed and yet been given what we feel is chance after chance after chance. And some of the young guys maybe aren't trusted to the same extent. You know? Like they're... Mm. There have been times this season where as young and inexperienced as Martinelli might have been, could he drop a bigger stinker than Willian has in, in some of his games? 
You know, I don't think so. So I get, I yeah. get that completely, but I do think there's an, a, an element of comparing what we consider the best thing against what we consider the worst thing. And maybe the truth lies a little bit more in the middle. Yeah. And, and the middle is something that's got on a lot of focus, I think this season. And when, I mean, when Thomas Partey came in at the start of the season, it was for me a, a bit of a game changing signing in my view. And I, if you would have said when we signed Thomas Partey, you'd be sitting in ninth at this point, I would have been like, you're mental because that key area is somewhere I thought would propel Arsenal to, to different levels. Now, he has been injured for a lot of the season and him not being able to string a few games together until right now, I mm. think has cost us in certain games that we would have been able to better compete when our midfield of either Elneny and Xhaka or Sabahs and Xhaka has been overrun at times. But Granite Xhaka is someone that both myself and you have had our criticisms of in, in the past. Um, I'm very much an admirer of, of what he brings to the team and, and how important he is to the team. But I still look at that central midfield position as somewhere that Arsenal should be looking to, to add strength to because the drop-off from Xhaka and Partey mm. to either one of Ceballos or Elneny, for me, seems significant. But... Xhaka has been, this second half of the season, really integral to the way that we've wanted to play. I think if you take that Burnley howler out of the equation, yeah, what he did against the, the other Burnley howler when he got sent off, <laughs> yeah. know, not too many people will be complaining about Granit Xhaka. And I get yeah. it. You know, he's been here for a good few years and he's had these moments and they're really frustrating when they happen because ultimately... I think what frustrates people most about, you know, that 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 incident at Burnley where he kicked it in off um Chris Wood, was it? Um yeah. you know he's capable of better. You know he's capable of a lot better than that. I know he's capable of that as well. You know he's capable <laughs> of that too, yeah, yeah. But you know, you also know that he if he was just routinely terrible all the time, mm. it would be a much easier conversation for everyone to have. But I think you know he is. I think you're right to point the drop out, uh, the drop off between him and uh, the other alternatives. I think he's the second best midfielder, central midfielder we have at the club. No question about it. I don't think it's even close uh, when it comes to Sabias or, or Elneny. Um, you know he hasn't had the ability to play with Thomas Partey for 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 quite a. For, you know, to build the relationship that you need to build in that key area of the pitch because Partey's been in and out and he's, you know, he's struggled yeah. for form, he's struggled for fitness and all of those things have, have contributed. Um, you, it's got to be an area, I think, that we're looking at in, in the summer. Um, and Shaka, you know, I'm actually reluctant to sort of say anything good about him or nice about him in case I, I jinx him ahead of tomorrow night or something like that. But, you know, one of the things that you have to give him credit for is his his durability and his availability. Um, you know, he's very, very rarely injured. He almost always plays 90 minutes. He missed the game the other week because he was sick. Yeah. Um, there's something to be said for that, you know, in a team, in a squad, which which does struggle with with fitness and, and things like that. So, look, he's got plenty of experience. He's got, he's got qualities. We know what those qualities are. If we can play in a way which um, allows us to maximize his strengths and doesn't expose his weaknesses... I think we see a pretty decent Granite Jacker for the most part. Um, and there I go. I've absolutely ruined him for tomorrow. <laughs> you wait for another Chris Wood episode oh, again. Um, he didn't play there against Sheffield United. He mm. played at left back. And of course, I looked at the January window. If we go out of time machines, go back mm. to how I was feeling after the January window. And I was feeling 
brilliant about it. I thought the way that we moved players on, the way that we got with a very limited financial situation, got in too decent and more than mm. decent in Erdogan's situation on loan. But one of the things that has been very much highlighted in the second half of the season and due to the fitness of Kiarantini is a lack of a backup mm. left-back not being brought in, either it not being just someone for six months or be it on loan or letting Kalasanak leave and mm. not replacing that. Xhaka played at left-back and I thought played against a admittedly quite poor Sheffield United team very well. Tomorrow, as we described on the thumbnail, as Judgment Day. Are you, with the knowledge also of the drop-off in midfield, as we've talked about there, without him there, mm. are you wanting to see him maintain that left-back slot or are you more in favour of seeing one of the more unorthodox right-sided full-backs take up that position or maybe even a, a Bakayo Saka move into that role? Yeah, my 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 preference would be for Bakayo Saka to play there, but I think it depends entirely on having Martin Odegaard and Emil Smith-Rowe available to us. You know, if those two guys can play on the left and uh, as the uh, central attacking midfielder, I think the best option we have in the squad at left back is is Bakayo Saka. As we saw the other day against Sheffield United, the fact that we needed Saka to be in that sort of 10 role meant Mm -hmm. that he had to think of something different for, for left back. Personally, I think in a game that we need to control, I would rather have Saka in midfield than at left back tomorrow. And if that means Cedric uh, at left back, I don't think it's great, but I would prefer to have him there and Shaka in midfield and Shaka in midfield and either Elneny or Ceballos uh, or Shaka left back and Elneny or Ceballos in, in midfield, I think. Mm-hmm. So it really depends on the availability of some of the players that we're waiting on. It looks like Odegaard and Aubameyang are, are being assessed ahead of tomorrow. So, you know, the team selection, I think, will revolve quite heavily around their availability or or lack of. But, you know, I thought Shaka did pretty well at left-back. He's done okay there before. Um, I think he played there against Crystal Palace one mm. time. Maybe he conceded a penalty, so I could be wrong. Um, against you know, our hearts, to be fair. Yeah, <laughs> does to, to Shaka. Yeah, um, yeah I, 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 I just think for a game against the team that's bottom of the table – when you can put in place a system, um, when you know they put Sabias on that left hand side and Martinelli was ahead of them, so it was kind of secure on that left hand side. This is a game we have to go and score in at least one goal. We have to score tomorrow night. So I think having the control of Shaggy in midfield is more important to me than um, the. I mean, what's the percentage difference between Shaggy at left back and, and Cedric at left back in terms of overall quality? Is it? anything is it minimal does it really matter in the grand scheme of things so i don't know it's tricky isn't it because it's about we don't really know how what slavia is going to turn up because i thought slavia were fairly poor last thursday and we managed to dominate Mm. the game and create a significant amount of chances that we should have taken and in comparison to the slavia prague that i've seen take on leicester and take on rangers and beat comfortably and and not lose a game since december in the czech league which i know is very different but still to do that is Mm. is what they do um if they turn up similar to how they did on Thursday, then having that kind of defensive solidity for me takes a secondary to how good we need to be in the forward line because we need to score. We need to score a minimum of two to get really to go. I know we can win one nil and go through, but in my mm. mind, you need to score probably at least two at, at their place to to have a chance of going through. And it's more about outscoring them 
on Thursday for me than it is about being defensively solid. Because it was for me, it was about being defensively solid on Thursday. Going into that game 1-0 would have been a brilliant setup because mm. you've not conceded that away goal. You don't have that same pressure. So it, it then kind of comes down to how we approach it from an attacking perspective. You talked there about ifs and buts about Emil Smith-Rowe and, and mm. Erdegaard. Erdegaard is a big maybe. Smith-Rowe is seemingly fit. Yeah. Um, Pepe, I thought, had a really good game against Sheffield United um, and played well there. But again, a lower opposition, but has turned up in other big games. I thought despite not scoring against, say, Man United at home, he had a good game there too <laughs> and worked back quite well. So how do you approach and how would you hope that Arteta will approach the forward line and how we're going to aim to outscore this Slavia team? Well, the lesson was there in the first leg. In the last, you know, we huffed and puffed for 70-odd minutes. I know we had a couple of chances that we missed and, you know, Lacazette's, big miss and Saka's big miss in the first half. You can point to those, but I think the lesson was there. Um, that, that was the big disappointment for me about the, the the first leg. Well, the big disappointment was conceding that that 94th minute goal. Um, but the fact that we didn't change it earlier when it was obviously not working, and then when we did change it, it, it was blindingly obvious that this is something we should have done 20 minutes beforehand. You know, bringing Aubameyang on, bringing Pepe on, uh, having runners, making making Slavia Prague worry about what we had uh, to go in behind, and we got the goal from it. Pepe's goal was absolutely brilliant. What a what an amazing finish that was at full pace from from yeah. Pepe. You know, so um, you know, I, I hope that's the way that we approach this. We can't go into this being cautious, really. I mean, look, you're not going to go full tilt hell for leather for 90 minutes straight from the start but think about where our strengths lie as a team we got a clean sheet against sheffield united it was our first clean sheet for what 13 or 14 games yeah that tells you that this is not a team which is strong or as strong as it should be defensively but we score three goals against Sheffield United. We have Pepe on the pitch. We have Martinelli on the pitch. We have, you know, Lacazette, who made up for his bad night against Slavia Prague with two goals. You've got Aubameyang. You've got Smith Rowe. You might have Odegaard. You've got um, you've got Balogun now. Maybe who knows if he might be involved <laughs> in the yeah. new contract. You've you know, dare I say it? You've even got Willian, who is at least nominally an attacking player. You know, there are so many options for Mikel Arteta to to cause Slavia problems with his attacking lineup, I think the very obvious thing for me is that this is a team which plays a high line, can't cope with pace, can't cope with movement in behind. So pick a team which will exploit that part of their game. Deal with the rest of it as you're going to deal with it at the back. You know, it's um, it's a team which is dangerous, which has knocked out Leicester, as we know, but they're not, um, you know, this is not up there uh, with the greatest attacking teams we'll have faced this season, you know. Um, so I think the solution to me is is to really make Slavia play on the back foot from the start. And that means using, using players who can run, using yeah. players who can run, who have pace. We, we were leaden-footed against them in the first leg. You know, Willian and Lacazette together in the same team. You just lose too much um, of what you need to play good football these days, you know? So that's, yeah, that's where I would go with it. I mean, do you have any different thoughts on that? Have you got a an ideal lineup in your mind, an attacking lineup? 
An attacking lineup, I think that you have to. I think Martinelli probably keeps his place with his like energy. Yeah. yeah, his energy is electric, and I think a lot of that will come down to also what you talked about, Martin Erdegaard's availability. Because weirdly, mm. if 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 Martinelli is is to be benched, for, in my mind, it's only because you've got a fully fit Smith Rowe and a fully fit Erdegaard. Because mm. I love the fluidity of those two when Erdegaard's at ten and Smith Rowe's on the left. You could play Martinelli in a striking role, but I think with Lacazette's goals against Sheffield United, he'll be on a high, and, and you you feed that form and you take that forward. So. If if Erdogan, which I'm to be honest, from what I've listened to, herds and stuff, it's it's pretty much like a a minimal exactly. chance he's going to, yeah. 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 So Smith Rowe is probably going to go back to the number ten role, um, being fully fit and in training. Uh, Martinelli on the left, Lacazette and Pepe as your front four, and then you're thinking about where does Saka come in, and and maybe Saka then does go to that left-hand side, left-back mm. position with Granit Xhaka pushing back into midfield. I think it all depends on how solid, because Slavia Prague, whilst are a lesser team, their strength is on the right. The, the, the 19-year-old Seema is very, very good. Um, they've got uh, Oscar Dawley as well on the right, who can play there, is also very technical and gave us a couple of issues on the right. So that's where they look most dangerous at the Emirates is on the right. So it's if Saka's going to play left and he's going to push up, you've got to have that faith in Gabriel and Granit Xhaka to, mm. to cover those areas. And you've also got the, the thing about, I thought Pablo Marie was good against Sheffield and I thought he, he's been good this season. I thought he was good against yeah. Leicester when we won 3-1 away there, bar the brain fart and letting Tielemans kind of come in straight in the first five minutes. But he's been mm. good. But I think Gabriel being rested probably tells you that he's, he's going to start yeah. on Thursday. I wonder, the, I wonder if he might pick more or less the same front three, front four as he picked against Sheffield United. Mm. It could be Martinelli or Smithrow on the left, Pepe on the right, Saka in that 10 role, because I thought there were some really promising signs from Saka in that position. He combined well with Pepe, he combined well with with Thomas Partey as well. Um, I have a feeling that Aubameyang, if they're they're unsure yet if he's going to train today, that makes it seem like he's not going to be a guy that you should start in a game as big as this. You know, my preference would be for Aubameyang up front ahead of Lacazette, assuming both were fully fit, but it seems like Aubameyang is not fully fit. So, you know, do you ask him to run for 60 minutes and see what you can get out of him? Or do you keep him on the bench and bring him on and ask him to run like hell for 30 minutes? You know, if that's all he's got in his legs after being sick, that's probably the best way to go with that. So I, I I have a feeling that the only the only change might be Smith Rowe in for Martinelli and then everything else the same with Saka, Pepe and Lacazette. But if it was Martinelli and Smith Rowe was on the bench or Smith Rowe, you know, I, I've got no real issue with that. But because you're you're actually not that you're spoiled for choice, but with Martinelli you've got a runner. Smith Rowe you've got a runner on that left hand side. You know, he's a guy who can burst. Uh, I know it's not something that people necessarily associate with him, but you know he's got a real turn of pace and can yeah. get him behind the the fullback. You've got Pepe on the other side, so I think the options are there for Arteta to have a real um, positive go at, at Slavia Prague. The thing about Smith Rowe is deceivingly quick, and I think sometimes a lot of people kind of associate number tens with not being too fast. They're more kind yeah. of elegant, um, work between the spaces and find the passes rather than sprinting in behind. <laughs> and you don't typically find those really pacey number tens. Bruno Fernandes, for instance, you don't see him with a burst of place. You see him feeding yeah. those forward lines. So 
Smith Rowe can play that left position really well. I think I'd, I like it with Erdegaard a lot. And, and were we to sign, say, the Norwegian permanently in the summer, I think it's something maybe you can take forwards with Martinelli maybe being given more opportunities in a central role. Um, but then the most interesting position on the pitch at the moment is right back as well, because Bellerin played against Slavia Prague on Thursday. Chambers was, I don't believe he was available through some uh, knock. Yeah. Um, yeah. He then came back for Sheffield United and has looked defensively really good in the games that he's played. But that's not really what we need on, on Thursday. We don't need... We, obviously, we want defensive stability always, but you want yeah. a player that can really drive at the opposition. And whilst Bellerin has been questionable defensively, you'd think that he would be able to offer us maybe more going forwards than Chambers. And then you've got the option of, of Cedric, depending on if he's played at left-back or not. So how are you wanting maybe Arteta to tackle that right-back position? I think it will be Bellerin. I think it'll be yeah. Hector. He's, he's played in most of the European games. And I, I do wonder if, you know, the the decision to rest him and leave him out of the team a little bit of late is, uh, you know, A, because he, he has played a lot this season, but also because he wants to keep him fresh for these European games. I think they suit him. Um, you, I suppose the one little doubt I might have is that sometimes Bellerin and Pepe don't quite seem to link up as well as they should. Um yeah. But again, it could be it could depend on on what kind of a game plan we we put in place. I think it'll be Bellerin, to be honest. Um, I don't think it's true that Bellerin and Pepe never play well together. I just think we've seen a few examples this season of when they haven't. Think about the FA Cup final, for example, yeah. and they were perfectly fine together that day when we won the cup. So you know, it's not as if they can't play together. So I think it will be I think it will be Bellerin there. Chambers, I, I see as someone who can do a decent job uh, in the games, you know, against teams like Sheffield United. And, and um, you know, he was in the team against West Ham, for example, for a very specific reason. It was because West Ham are good in the air. Um, and, like, I didn't expect him to do what he did in the West Ham game when we went 3-0 down. I, I was thinking, oh, God, we've got the wrong fullback on the pitch all of a sudden. Yeah. But, you know, Chambers, when he gets into that uh, area of the pitch, his delivery is good. You know, I think his instincts in the final third are quite good for a for a defender. Um, so it's it wouldn't surprise me hugely if he played, but I do think it, I think it'll be Hector. The I think what, weirdly we talked about how like if you take away the Burnley mistakes from Granite Xhaka, he's been one of our best players this season. One mm. of the other players who's not available is David Luiz holding coming mm. into that position um, is is what we expect to happen on on Thursday. Are you weirdly? We've always kind of talked about. And I know that I, I've agreed with you and listening to you with James on, on the Ask Cast talking about David Luiz saying that I, I agree with you that I think it's the right time to move on from him mm. and, and not offer that extension because we need to look at progressing. But he has made it incredibly difficult to have that opinion this season because he has, for me, been quite good. And take away the Wolves incident, like we say, take away the Burnley incident for mm. Jacker. I think he's been arguably our best defender. Um, so what are your thoughts around him going into the, that, that end of contract period? I think you're right. I think he has been our best central defender this season. I think the Wolves thing was, you know, he was really unlucky there. Yeah, I, it was. It was really, really unlucky. Um, I think there's something to be said for the fact that he's our best central defender. Like as a footballer, he's a lucky <laughs> You know what I mean? Yeah. He really is. You know, his his passing range is excellent. There are a lot of things to like about David Luiz. A lot of things. You know, he seems to be a great guy on the training ground. The young players really look up to him. 
Um, you know, he is a, a good passer. I think his defending is braver than people will give him credit for at times. He'll stick his head in places that, you know, I'm not saying others won't, but mm. I've been impressed at times this season with how, how well he has defended. I do think it's a, it's a similar kind of situation to the Granite Xhaka one in that for a long time, Granite Xhaka was our best central midfield player and everybody said, we have to upgrade. We need an upgrade. And we got one in Thomas Partey. Yeah. Um, I, I think the situation with Louise is a little bit different because he's coming towards the end, towards the end of his career. He's certainly in the September of his career, you would say. You know, he's going to be 34 um, pretty soon if he's not already. And I do think that um, it's a position we have to think about very carefully going into next season. How long do you hang on to the guy who gives you experience and, and leadership and all that kind of stuff without it impacting your ability to, <clears throat> excuse me, to, to sort of grow and develop as a team? Um it's it's a it's a really interesting one for for Arteta and Edu to to sort out, you know, because I I like holding, but I don't think he's anything more than solid backup, decent backup player. I think he's a good backup center half. I yeah. don't think he's the guy who should be starting thirty eight league games for Arsenal if we want to be a team that is challenging for top four again, you know. Yeah. I. I you know, and that's not to disrespect him. I think he's a really solid, honest pro who gives his best. All those boxes, tick them all. But I just think there is a a ceiling in terms of his quality as a defender and as a as a uh, a footballer, as a passer of the football um, that we we have to acknowledge if we want to make progress. I mean, you can like a guy, and I like Rob, Rob Holding. I do. I like him. But you can like someone and still think, okay, we can do a little bit better than that, right? So and that's Granit Xhaka. So yeah, exactly. It's not being harsh; it's being realistic yeah. about what what players are capable of and what they bring to a team. So I think it will be an interesting one. It will probably depend on what happens in in the rest of the season if we have European football or not, because David Luiz. Um, whether you want to believe the spin in the newspapers or not, is an expensive player. Yeah, he earns a lot of money. You know, he earns a lot of money, and that you know, look, he might readjust his salary demands, but he's earned a lot of money in the couple of years that he's been with us. So yeah. that's another consideration. And if we don't have, if we don't have European football to boost the coffers then it becomes increasingly difficult to make a case for him staying on, you know? Tom said in the chat, if Louise accepts a pay cut and a reduced role for an extra year with the scope to integrate into the coaching staff afterwards, why why not go for it? And Well, does he want to be a coach? Does yeah. he want to be part of Benfica? So He might want to play. I mean, that's the thing, you know, particularly for central defenders. You can, I think with central defenders in particular, you can kind of slide towards the end of your career much more easily than, mm. I don't know, a Theo Walcott, for example, whose game is built on pace and, you know, a huge part of his game is pace. When that starts to go in your early 30s, I'm not saying you go off a cliff, but, you know, you've seen central yeah. midfielders, for example, in the past who play on and on and on, and they do so by dropping back into the center of defense. You know, you can get away. 
yeah, you can get away with slower legs in, in the center of defense, but you may also have to go down, go down a league or move sideways into a slightly less pacey league. I think of Lauren Koscielny even, you know, who's, yeah. who's gone back to, to Liga. Well it's, yeah. You know, and we'll probably play another couple of years there. So Louise might not want to be a coach at all. He might in the future, but you know, um, I, I, I have a suspicion that he'll want to play on for another couple of years. And if that means going to the Portuguese league and playing for Benfica or even back to Brazil for a little while, who knows? So mm. before you go, uh, I do have to ask, uh, cause it's, it looks like it's about to be announced very, very soon. Um, the new contract for, for following Balogun, which really came out of absolutely no, I, I mean, I've seen some yeah. turnarounds for Arsenal in terms like the Partey on the deadline day was a pretty big turnaround for the books. Um, yeah. The Balogun situation looked dead in the water. Looks absolutely yeah. like there's no chance he's signing. Otherwise, why wouldn't he have signed already? But every single press conference, Arteta kept on saying he like he wants to stay. I want him to stay. We're working yeah. on it, and no one really bought it. And was just kind of sack. What's what's the word? Succumbed, I suppose, to the idea of him leaving. So, yeah. what are your thoughts around the Balogun situation, and and what kind of effect do you think that might have on Arsenal's striking summer plans? It's a really good question. It depends what the plan is for Balogun for next season. Like, is he at 19? Is he ready to just come in and play Premier League football for Arsenal? Maybe he is. I don't know. I mean, he's looked good at at yeah. under 23 level, but he's also had games where, you know, that have passed him by at that level. And 19 is still very young and he doesn't have a great deal of first team experience. So my suspicion is that they, they're, they've explained to him that there is a pathway to first team football at Arsenal because Lacazette is 30 plus and should go this summer if we're a smart mm. club and we don't make the same mistake and let a player who could generate us some money leave for free like we've done with Welbeck and Wilshire and Ramsey and all of those examples that we can point to you know whatever the varying circumstances of those financially they've not been good for Arsenal we have particularly at a time when finances are so tight because of the pandemic and everything else we have to maximize our return on players this summer. So Lacazette should go. Aubameyang is 31, heading towards 32. I don't think he's done yet or finished yet or anything like it, but, you know, he is heading towards the end of his career. And there's a gap. There's a gap at Arsenal. I think we might fill the gap with a signing during the summer, but, you know, it's a position that we need to uh, rejuvenate. And I suspect they've explained to him there's a pathway. It may involve a loan next season to get him some regular playing time. Come back, stake your claim at Arsenal. Mm -hmm. Maybe he goes into the first team squad for next season too. You know, it might have to be that given what we have available to us to spend in the market. We might have other positions that we need to prioritize when it comes to spending money. So he might go into the thing, but I'm happy. You know, I, I think he's a very... The little bits I've seen of him at, at Premier League or at, in, at first team level have been impressive. You know, a few minutes in the Europa League this season. He's very highly rated. He's obviously got a lot of talent. There are loads and loads and loads of young strikers at Arsenal from from Jay Simpson to Jay Emmanuel Thomas to um, Benica Fobe, uh, you know, all, yeah. yeah, Akpom, all of these guys who were Arturo Lupoli, you know, guys who were doing it at youth level and we all thought wow this this kid is going to be the next big striker for arsenal i think we underestimate sometimes 
how big the step up is. It's huge. And I hope Balogun can can do it. Um, and I'm delighted that he's staying because I think we should at least give our best young talent the chance to make the breakthrough here. So all in all, very positive, you know, following up from the January window when we did the Martin Odegaard thing, maybe there are powers of persuasion uh, that Edu and Mikel Arteta have that we, you know, we don't give them credit for in some way. So if it if it's a sign about what we might be able to do with young players and and, you know, create an environment in which young players say, yes, I want to be here. I want to, you know, I want to spend time here and commit to this football club because, you know, Smith Rowe needs to sign a new contract. We've tied Saka down. We want Odegaard to stay. Tierney should get a new contract, you know, put in place these building blocks and, and Balagoon hopefully will be one of those. So yeah, it's really good, really positive. Um, and we'll see if he's going to be involved between now and the end of the season because, you know, there could be games in the Premier League if we make progress in Europe where, you know, we're going to have to make decisions about who we play and we're going to have to probably play weak teams, if you like, in, in the Premier yeah. League to keep players fresh for Europe. So he could feature. Yeah, and with the extended bench as well, that's, that's up to nine and Ketty have got minutes against Sheffield United. You'd think if we're extending Balogun and Ketty has got a year left on his deal and he, he's probably one of the casualties maybe <laughs> of the summer window that you would put Balogun in to, to get a chance. And it's like Aziz. I was disappointed, to be fair, 3-0 up against Sheffield United not to see Aziz yeah, 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 yeah. get yeah. a few minutes. Um, but it's, it's the way it works. Anyway, thank you ever so much, Andrew, for coming on. There's a lot of love for you in the chat box today as well. And we really oh, appreciate well. you taking the time. Hello to, uh, hello to everyone in the chat box. Thanks for watching, guys. Um, but tell me where they can find you and what stuff you're going to be up to over the next and towards the end of the season. Uh, the usual place, rsplog.com. We'll be doing uh, all our bits and bobs on the podcast and on our Patreon, you know, preview podcasts and, and all of that kind of stuff. And hopefully, uh, as we get towards the end of the season, we'll be doing some uh, Europa League final preview podcasts and then obviously Europa League final celebration podcasts as well, obviously. which I'm sure you will be doing as well. Doing. So we'll, we'll keep our fingers crossed. A lot rides on this uh, on this tournament and this competition. So let's hope, uh, you know, one step at a time. Let's do Slavia Prague tomorrow night and then see where we are. Yeah, I'm still absolutely petrified about tomorrow, but we'll, we'll move swiftly <laughs> on to... Oh, God. Yeah, dreading it. We'll see how it goes. Fingers crossed. And uh, hopefully we get a win tomorrow. A significant one, too. It's been an absolute pleasure, Andrew, as always, as it is for you guys listening in the chat box. Thank you so much for tuning in. If you have enjoyed the show, please drop a like on the video. Subscribe to the channel if you're new around here and share it with your friends to let them know (laughs) where they can find it, too. And you can find Andrew at Blog on Twitter. And, of course, all his podcasts are on all the usual platforms, too. We'll see you again very, very soon. And, as always, up the Arsenal. It's the 90 plus minute. All your mates are out and you've got a McNuggets share box ready to go and you know a late winner's coming. Your mates already got booked for a double dip in and you steal the last nugget, snatching all three points. Perfection. Order now on the McDonald's app for your McDelivery. You in? At participating restaurants, 18 plus, serving times, delivery fee and terms apply. See mcdonalds.com. 
And there it is. That's as good as it gets on this stage. Nissan Townstar EV strikes again. It's an unstoppable van. Unstoppable! Look, just fantastic. You can actually see the ProPilot technology in action. Effortless parallel parking. It moves with all the confidence that comes with a five-year warranty. And with a bench full of all-star van experts, there's real strength in depth here. That's all-star quality. Search Nissan Townstar EV and visit your local all-star van centre to see for yourself. Terms and conditions apply. Five years or 100,000 miles, whichever comes first. ProPilot is an advanced driver assist technology. Driver's responsibility to stay alert, drive safely, and control vehicle at all times. This podcast is proud to be part of the TalkSport Fan Network. TalkSport. Powered by fans.